I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot. Joel and Kim here. We are actually on our summer holidays at the moment, uh, taking a little break from recording. So we're actually going to be using this time to launch a brand new series of The Passing Shot, which we're calling From the Vault. And From the Vault will basically be a series dedicated to, from time to time, re-uploaded favourites from our back catalogue, episodes that we've handpicked that we consider some of our best to put out on the show. Yes, Joel. So for our first From the Vault episode, we're going to honour what would have been the grass court season and uh, go back to last summer when we spoke to Will, who is otherwise known as the Wimbledon groundsman. Some of you may follow him on Twitter and look at all the lovely photos he uploads from uh, SW19. So if you're ever interested in, you know, how they prepare the courts at Wimbledon or want some behind the scenes knowledge about maybe how to grow your own in your own back garden, then um, have a listen again. Uh, we really enjoyed recording this one and uh, we hope you enjoy listening to it for the first time or for perhaps the second time. Yes, and uh, we will, of course, be back with a brand new episode next Sunday where me and Kim will be doing a catch up on all the craziness that has happened in the tennis world over the last month or so. So I hope you can, of course, join us for that. But now I'm going to hand it back to myself uh, from about 12 months ago, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Happy listening. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Have you ever wondered what the Wimbledon ground stuff do the other 50 weeks of the tennis year? Well, we're about to find out. Let's play. Hello everyone and welcome to The Passing Shot. Extra Slice, where we put the spotlight on one topic from the tennis world. I'm Joel, the Wandering Wildcard, and as always, I'm joined by the self-confessed Queen of Clay, Kim. Kim, how are you doing today? Hi, Joel. Yeah, very good, thanks. Although, um, despite being the Queen of Clay, I'm going to have to don my grass court shoes for this episode because we have a very special guest joining us um, to talk all things grass courts. Yes, we do. We have... Will Briarly on the show, aka the at AELTC groundsman on Twitter, aka the Wimbledon groundsman, aka that guy when you go to Wimbledon, you see the grass courts and they look absolutely pristine, absolute perfection. Will's Will's your guy. How you doing, Will? Good, thanks, Joel. Kim, how you doing? How's it like at the moment? What's what's going on in uh, at Wimbledon? Um, so at the minute we're. Um... Obviously, in build-up for the tournament, uh, there's lots of uh, temporary stands and marquees being built around the site, uh, finishing touches here and there from the um, painters and decorators around, and obviously, we're 
hard at work on the grass courts. Um, so yeah, it's it's a busy time, but everything's going well, minus the rain. And uh, can you briefly explain just kind of what your role is at, at Wimbledon? What is it that you do? So I'm um, senior groundsman for the championship courts. Um, so my role entails reporting into um, Neil Stubbley, uh, head of courts and horticulture, uh, and working alongside senior groundsmen of the practice courts as well. Um, so between the three of us, we organise the work for the team and set them about their daily jobs. And how did you get into this role, Will? Because it's, it's quite a niche profession, isn't it? So did you kind of uh, always intend to end up being a, a groundsman or is, is groundskeeping like the correct terminology for, for your profession? Yeah, so we are, we're, we're ground staff, um, so groundsman, groundskeeper. Um, yeah, no, I didn't always plan on being a groundsman. I kind of wanted to be a, a maths teacher, which was pretty boring. Um, <laughs> and A-levels didn't go to plan. Uh, so I decided to change tact and I found a course at a college in Preston, uh, Myerscore College, um, to do a diploma in uh, sports turf. Um, so I applied to that thinking, if I can get into this, I can go and work at Liverpool and be a grandfather <laughs> on Liverpool and get to watch the football as much as I want. Um, and so, yeah, after uh, after being there for, for a year, did a placement um, at the Northern Lawn Tennis Club in Manchester. And the head groundsman there had worked at Wimbledon, so after picking his brain for a little bit, decided that my next placement would be uh, be at Wimbledon. So um, as part of the course, I had to do a six-month work placement and thankfully got taken on as a summer staff in 2005 at Wimbledon. Loved it so much. Wanted to go back to 2006. And, uh, yeah, one of the members of the team decided it was time for a change for him. So as soon as he walked out the door, I took his full-time position and <laughs> I've been there ever since. So you've been there quite a while I, I imagine Wimbledon's changed Wimbledon's changed a lot over I guess over those years that you've been there what what's the biggest change I guess in terms of you know the the grounds in in terms of your role what do you feel like the biggest change has been um so in terms of my role um so I've I pretty much started way down on the summer staff and then as I say I was fortunate enough in 2006 to take on full-time staff um and then when Neil took over from Eddie Seward uh, back in 2012 with his rejigging of the department. I was fortunate enough then to get my promotion to senior groundsman. And you've witnessed a lot of um, changes. You know, to, we've got we've got two roofs now at Wimbledon. Um, yeah. A lot of redevelopment. Um, so has it has has the role itself, the work that you do, has it is it more difficult? Has it improved? Have there been many kind of significant changes to kind of your workload with that? Um, no, so obviously the the roofs are the big big change over the last sort of ten years or so. But there's been lots of other redevelopments. So the southern courts were all redeveloped to new court two, a new court three. Uh, but whenever we build a new court, there's always a lot of consultation beforehand that whatever they build around a court has to give us the best opportunity to produce a world class tennis court. So thankfully, our management of the courts hasn't changed drastically and for us consistency is key so it doesn't matter if 
uh, Roger Federer or anybody who's playing on centre court or on one of the practice courts or one of the outside championship courts, they should all play exactly the same. So our management of each and every court is similar. Obviously, different environments do bring different challenges, but yeah, for the most part, everything's looked after the same. And it's, of course, like a full-time job throughout the whole year. Um, but how does it vary, you know, to kind of what you're doing now in the build-up to the tournament and during the tournament itself? Is it like completely all hands on deck mad? And do you sort of um, long for the tournament to finish so you can put your feet up for a bit? Or, or uh, you know, what's your favourite part of the year to work on? Yeah, no, I think that's one of the age-old questions is uh, what do you do for the other 50 weeks of the year? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, for us, uh, so we're a members club who host the tournament. We're, we're open all year round. Um, so we've 38 grass courts, we've six clay courts, five indoor and two acrylic that we have to manage year round. Uh, so yeah, we, we never really stop. We're always, we're always on with something. Um, but this time of year, actually, you know, We've done all our hard work. Um, so from spring... Is it the sorry, calm before the storm at the moment? It is a little bit, yeah. It's it's almost just managing the courts now through to the tournament. So it's, it's very basic work going on at the moment. It's cutting, marking out um, the occasional spray, uh, maybe a roll. And it's it's just a case of getting everything looking nice now. So... You know, the boys are probably fed up of going out and picking weeds out of drains and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, getting the little hand shears out and just clipping up the edges and, and things like that. Um, so, yeah, no, it's very much the calm before the storm. Um, and then our real work kicks in um, after the tournament. So there's no no time to put your feet up post-tournament. Um, that's when we start renovation. So um, that's our busiest time of year from sort of the end of July then through to October. Oh, wow. That's probably different to what maybe most of our listeners would think. We thought, you know, that you'd be kind of totally manic during the championships. I mean, do you get a chance to actually watch much tennis? Um, when it's on? Yeah, well, kind of make it a bit of a bit of a thing just to watch a bit of tennis, just to make sure the ball's playing well. You know, I don't want to walk past the court and see a bad ball bounce or, or anything like that. So, yeah, no, I'll, I'll watch a little bit. I'll definitely watch the first ball get hit on centre and we'll be around and about for the final. But yeah, we're with being open for members from uh, mid-May, we're also getting the chance to you know, uh, watch and assess the courts in that time as well. Um, and obviously we got a little bit of a an extra um, chance to look at court one this year with the court one celebration. Um, so yeah, it's we will watch some tennis. I'm sure um, you don't want the players to, if they're not happy with the courts, you do, you want to remain anonymous. I'm sure if they if they see you walking around and they don't want to pin pin the blame on you. Um, but no, I mean the courts are always pretty fantastic. And is that one of the challenges? You, you you know, I'm sure you have extremely high standards. So are you quite kind of critical of um, of the smallest kind of change? You know, I see you you measure quite a lot of different things every day. Is that correct to make sure everything's pristine? Yeah. So I think. You know, that's part of any top job, um, whatever industry it's in. You only get to the top by being overcritical of yourself. And, I mean, if you get some of our guys sitting around a table, you'll, you'll certainly hear what they think. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, 
if anybody was to ever say, you know, I've taken these courts as far as I can, then it's clearly not the job for them. Mm. We're always looking for that. You know, it might not be a massive improvement, but if we can look for one or two percent every time we do something, you know, we're always looking to improve. And so, yeah, we are we are overcritical, but it's what pushes you as well. And what would you say are kind of the biggest the biggest challenges you face? I mean, in my head, I feel like you're constantly in a battle with the British weather. Is that fair to <laughs> yeah. say? Or yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> easily the biggest challenge is the weather because it's the only thing you can't control. Um, so yeah, I mean, a forecast can give you a good idea, but occasionally they're not always correct. Uh, <laughs> so every morning, are you uh, are you on BBC weather reports, checking the weather and, and seeing what it is over uh, Southwest London? Yeah, so we'll we probably have about two or three weather apps on the go. To be fair, just uh, <laughs> checking against each other to see what they're saying. Um, so we'll have BBC weather, and we'll have the Met Office, and we'll have a, a live rain radar. So we'll be be monitoring all three just to check. And then during the tournament, we have the Met Office on site and we have Meteor France as well, who can give us really good um, sort of local weather forecasts. Um, So, yeah, no, that's definitely our biggest challenge. And then the second biggest challenge would be ourselves. (laughs) One of our listeners, um, Liz, she she was wondering the... the, the the staff in kind of the green outfits that kind of come rushing onto the court when it rains, are they um, like part of of the groundskeeping staff? Are they kind of employed just for the tournament? Um, or, you know, how much involvement do you have with like court covering? Yeah, so the, the guys that you'll see run out on centre, they're all our ground staff. Unfortunately, we don't have enough ground staff to put them on every court. So we <laughs> do employ, I think it's around about, I want to say about 160 court covers and that's throughout the whole uh, build up as well so we'll have court covers down at qualifying at Rampton um, and then some of those will move over to uh, main site for the tournament um, so they all tend to be uni students who are just looking for a bit of work through summer um, and yeah we've got a few guys that come in and do their training um, and then they report to Neil so on a day-to-day basis during the tournament, we're kind of um, on top of those those guys. So yeah. And do you treat centre court and number one court differently to the outside courts? Is there like extra extra measures, a special attention? To, you know, because of the you know the roof situation, does it make it a different you know different challenge? Um, well, it brings a different challenge because there's a stadium around it, so it restricts airflow a little bit. Um, it restricts light a little bit. Um, but as I said before, consistency is key. So if we were to treat those two courts massively different, it would end up playing massively different, and that's not what we want. Um, so where we've lost airflow and light, we've supplemented uh, with fans and light units, but we also have those on court one, court 18, and some of the back courts, so they're not unique in that sense. Um, so, yeah. The roofs probably are more of a worry to the FM department than they are to us. And I know that um, when I've been at Wimbledon, um, I've noticed on the side of Centre Court, you've got that the number that keeps changing when there's kind of rain in the air. And I'd never noticed it before. And then I think it was just a, a, a friend of mine said, oh, yeah, that relates to kind of 
how likely it is that they're going to start playing again. And so we were sort of always watching the number. Can you just kind of explain what those numbers kind of roughly mean? Is it, is it higher the number, the better, the more chance of play? No, so those numbers are actually um, kind of a code for the uh, court coverers. Okay. So um, when a certain number goes up, that tells them what job to do. So a zero um, means that there's no chance of rain. They can relax a little bit. Um, and a one means that they're on standby, so there's a chance of rain somewhere. Um, and then I forget all the numbers now, but I think <laughs> two is um, cover at the umpire's discretion. Uh, three is cover whatever. Um, and then the numbers work through then for inflating, deflating, uncovering um, and getting the court set up and ready to play again. So, oh, I see. so yeah, those numbers are just for, <laughs> yeah, because the, you know, each court covering team has a, a supervisor, but the supervisor wouldn't be able to get around quick enough. Yeah. So to have those numbers there just just lets the teams know what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's good because I just felt like if I had a bit of an indication of how soon it would be before like yeah. players started coming back onto court, you can kind of plan what to do during the rain delay. Um, yeah, sure. But and also, um, you obviously worked at Wimbledon for a number of years. How was the Olympic year of 2012 um, different? Because obviously you had to get everything ready for the Olympics. And I think they were about a, a month after the championships. Was that an absolute nightmare to deal with? Yeah, so uh, it was a, a quick turnaround. It was only 20 days, actually, between wow. the final of Wimbledon and the start of the Olympics. Um, but as with everything, we have to sort of go through trials and tribulations of what we think would work best to get those grass courts back. So we we actually did three years of testing, um, different methods of the baseline renovations just so that we could uh, have those courts back. So um, when it came to 2012, we actually, once courts were taken out during the tournament in the later stage of the second week, we were actually getting on and starting the renovation of some of the Olympic courts then. Um, so yeah, no, it was, that was a really busy year and, um, uh, the weather wasn't on our side at all that year. Um, so it was really interesting and, you know, massive, really good to be a part of. And, you know, thankfully for us, the work that we'd done in the three years leading up to that put us in a really good position. So thankfully all the press, um, for the Olympics and how well the courts had come back was really positive. So. Yeah, no, it was it was hard work, but it was well worth it. No, it's great. I mean, it was it was both fantastic events. So I don't remember there being any any complaints about the about the court quality. Yeah, it just shows how much uh, you know your stuff <laughs> and how um, your standards are so high. It's great. And if you could just explain for us, you know, once like events are over, what what happens to those grass courts? Do they get do they get dug up? Are they just kind of like you know brown? Are they just kind of like the ground and then? the grass kind of appears like, you know, six months later. I don't know. what. How? What's the kind of annual annual process? Yeah, no, so pretty much as soon as the tournament finishes, um, we have the Monday. Um, we do a little bit of more and we'll fertilise the courts on the Monday after the tournament. And then on the Tuesday, the members are playing again. And then from there, we'll start renovation. So we'll always start on... Well, in the last few years, actually, we've started first on court one just because um, with the roof build, the builders have had to get back in again. But we usually start first on centre court 
so the chairman will have a match the Wednesday after the tournament and then after that we start uh, getting some moisture back into the profile of the court we'll spike it and then uh, yeah like you say we we uh, take all the grass off um, and then we'll we'll run a scary fire through that and create a seed bed uh, we'll overseed that and it'll get covered for a week uh, and then after a week yeah there'll be grass back on it so you know it's a tried and tested method over uh, quite a few years now that we've we've got that into a fine art so it's uh, center court number one court are they literally just used for competitive tennis just for two weeks in the year or yeah so since i've been at wimbledon the only time that center court has been used for anything else other than the tournament uh, was the Centre Court celebration when we had the roof test event uh, and the Olympics. So the Saturday before tournament, um, we have Hawkeye testing where they have a little bit of a match. Um, and then, like I said, the Wednesday after the tournament, the chairman plays. But other than that, it is literally just tournament play on Centre Court. Um, it's for Court 1. Again, it is mainly tournament play, but we have had uh, two Davis Cups on there since I've been at Wimbledon. And... Uh, the Olympics. Hi, this is Joel from The Passing Shot. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our show. We're supported by every one of our fans in The Passing Shot community. And if you want to become one of them and get the latest updates from your tennis catch-up service, then all you need to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you like what you hear, then why not tell your friends or leave us a rating and subscribe? Thanks for listening. And Will, um, have you ever had any kind of unique wildlife uh, situations to deal with? Any birds or bugs or anything that's been a bit problematic for the grass? Um, no, we don't tend to get too much. Um, foxes are our big, big problem. Um, so where we're situated, we're kind of in between uh, Wimbledon Park Golf Course and Wimbledon Common. So it kind of gets used a bit as a rat run by, by the foxes. Um, and if they decide that uh, one of our courts looks like a nice place to uh, then we'll, we'll certainly notice a, a change in an area um, depending on if it's a fox or a vixen so um, foxes uh, tend to go give it a, a bit of a, a flush of growth uh, whereas vixens kill the grass so um, yeah we can tell what's been through um, and then we get uh, quite a lot of birds um, that will fly around a lot of wagtails and starlings, uh, quite a lot of pigeons when it comes to renovation time and the <laughs> seed around. Uh, so, yeah, but you know, for the most part, we're, we're f- because the site's always so busy, Yeah, um, we're, we're quite good for um, animals. But we, we do protect the courts with electric fences throughout the winter. I, I could have sworn, like, a few seasons ago, there was, like, a breakout of like popping ants or something on or insects on the on the courts. Did I? Is that right? Yeah, I no. Could, I think I we did have uh, flying ants a, a few years ago. 
I'm not quite sure where they came from. They seem to come around, <laughs> hang around for a few days and then go again. But yeah, we definitely, you know, I think that was just, that was probably the, one of the warmer tournaments. Um, and they just popped in for, for a couple of days, come and watch some tennis and then gone again. <laughs> They've got good taste, those pesky ants. <laughs> um, and Will, um, you mentioned that you, as the team responsible for like the Bank of England sports ground for the qualifying, do you... Do you deal with the courts there for the qualies or? Uh, no, so the Bank of England have their own team. Okay. Um, because they also have uh, multi-sport, so they also have cricket and rugby. Um, so they're managing their tennis courts and other fields uh, year-round. Um, we have a little bit of input as to, uh, you know, kind of what we expect from from a tennis court. Um, but they've got a really good team down there. So, um, yeah, no, they're quite good. Would you say, is the grass to, like unique to Wimbledon? You know, if I went to Nottingham, Eastbourne, Mallorca, I don't know, will their grass be a little bit different to how it plays to, you know, compared to Wimbledon? Or is it like, are they kind of quite similar? It depends, you know. I think for the most part, uh, a lot of the ground staff are using similar grasses. Uh, Mallorca might be a bit different. They'll want a more of a warm season grass. Um, but most of the British grass court venues will all be using perennial rare grass. Uh, I think Queen's possibly using uh, something a bit different. But again, it, it's, um, it kind of changed in the early 90s with uh, my old boss, Eddie Seward, who with the STRI, decided to start looking at the best grasses for tennis, which had kind of never been done before. Um, and so from that, there is a list produced of possibly the, I think it's the top 40 grasses for tennis. Um, and we tend to take from the top 10, uh, three different cultivars of perennial rare grass. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, for the most part around the country, perennial rare grass is the best um, it's easiest to to establish, and um, it's certainly the best for drought tolerance, wear tolerance, and everything like that. So, so what you're saying is, if I want to have a, a centre court in the back of my garden, get some get some perennial ryegrass <laughs> into the yeah, into the mix. Is that um, is that the plan? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not exactly unique. I think you could go down to B and Q and get a decent perennial ryegrass, um, but yeah. We're probably playing a bit of a premium for one specific to um, for what we need for wear tolerance and drought tolerance and um, disease resistance, things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot of science into a little grass seed. <laughs> and um, if anyone did wanted to get involved in in this kind of field, um, is it? You know, do, do you offer like apprenticeships at, at Wimbledon, like something like a scheme that you did, or would you recommend someone um, went and studied it beforehand, or can they like learn on the job? You know, what would you recommend if anyone wanted to get involved? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an industry of love. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to retire at forty, but perseverance and yeah, like I said, I had a big love of sport before I started in this career and, you know, wanting to 
work somewhere prestigious um, drove me on. But for for young kids getting into the industry, there are apprenticeship schemes. We don't currently run one. Um, but I know through Myers Core College, they run apprenticeship schemes. Um, or you could go, go to the college and study a, a diploma in sports turf. Uh, you can go on then to do a degree in sports turf management. Um, or, you know, chance your arm, give a local football club, a local cricket club a hand and, and learn on the job and start picking it up. Uh, I think quite a, quite a few people you know, look after somewhere local first and then start moving up. Um, not everybody's as fortunate as me that yeah. I happen to fall into, fall into the better job. You're at the pinnacle um, now. <laughs> in terms of Wimbledon, do you ever kind of go like cross sport, I don't know, to like, I don't know, cricket or football or rugby to like, I don't know, share learnings on how to, you know, manage, uh, you know, a, a piece of grass? Does that, does that ever happen? Yeah, of course. Um, grass, dependent on what species it is, all needs the same thing. It all needs food, it all needs nutrients, uh, it all needs water. So it doesn't matter if it's a football pitch or a tennis court, you know, they all essentially need the same thing. It's the management of that afterwards that changes. Um, and there are ideas that, you know, somebody in football might come up with that are transferable over to tennis or um, things that we're doing in tennis that are transferable over to cricket. There's certainly a lot of uh, crossover that way. Um, so, yeah, but essentially your your block of grass is, is managed by you. So um, you know, everybody has their own way of doing things. And in terms of the future, do you also tend to the grass courts at any other venues such as Wimbledon Park Golf Club? So potentially a lot more new courts at the site expanding. So how how do you see the role of the Wimbledon groundsmen evolving? Like are you going to have to take on more staff or um, is it going to become more mechanised? Will you, you know, how much of the job is sort of being replaced with technology and robots perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so the club's always on the land of the golf course. Okay. Um, it was just leased to the golf course, so uh, the club have got the lease back early. Um, so the plan, uh, obviously, we're the only ground slam that don't hold qualifying on site, um, as we've spoken about with it being down at the Bank of England. And the idea is that um, any player that's coming to play Wimbledon, be that qualifying or main draw should have that Wimbledon experience. Um, so, yeah, the, the plan is definitely to build enough courts across the road uh, so that we can hold qualifying um, and give every player that experience. So we'll definitely be taking on more staff. Uh, we'll be taking on more gardeners. You know, it's not just just the courts. There's going to be a lot of landscape in there as well. Um, so, yeah, it's we're going from a 40-acre site for, to about 150 once we've uh, taken that that role on, as well as uh, the Rains Park Community Sports Ground, which is about three miles down the road. That's uh, another area that we own. Um, we have community tennis there. 
there are six grass courts there at the moment, um, but we've started building works to build 16 grass courts down there that um, can be used in the build-up to the tournament for practice and, uh, yeah, as part of the club's ambition to do more in the community. Uh, we're able to offer tennis out. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of land and a lot of golf club. Uh, uh, sorry, a lot of land and a lot of tennis club courts <laughs> going to be uh, built in the next five years. That's amazing. I had no idea that um, it was such a yeah. Like the plans were kind of so expansive. So yeah, you will definitely be kept busy. Uh, <laughs> no rest for the wicked. <laughs> um, and just another random question. Um, I am always very impressed by, um, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier, by the, you know, the standard of the grounds and, you know, the presentation. It looks very beautiful. And I think Wimbledon for me is the prettiest slam that I've been to. Um, you know, I love all the purple flowers dotted around the grounds. Are those flowers done by a separate team of gardeners? Um, do they hire, like, do, you, do you know if they bring people in just to, just to do the flowers? Um, or are they kind of there all year to make it, you know, nice for the members as well? <laughs> Um, yeah, so the the gardeners used to be contractors um, until a few years ago when they came in-house and uh, now they fall under Neil's remit as head of courts and horticulture. So we have a, a team of gardeners uh, led by Mo, Martin Faulkner, our um, head gardener, um, and I believe they've got a team of eight uh, full-time gardeners who, you know, it's all well and good it looking nice for the two weeks, but we have uh, a membership who like it to look nice year round as well. So, so those guys, you know, they they really do work hard, and uh, throughout the summer they they supplement their staff with I think an additional eight uh, gardeners to help with the championships overlay and um, all of the extra work that they have to take on there. So, so yeah, it becomes quite a big team. And I guess it's all going towards that that attention to detail. And, you know, with this acquisition of new land, I think in maintaining that attention to detail is going to become even more even more challenging. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's uh, if you're walking down down a path and you see a weed, it's, it's picking out and, or something's not in its right place. And it's drilling that ethos into the team, not that. Not that they need it drilled into them, but uh, any any member of staff that comes in, be it a new full time member or one of our summer staff, um, we, you know, from from the off, they know the level and expectation uh, that we want. So, yeah, for the next few years, we might might get a little bit more in or uh, things like that when when we've got new builds coming in, um, but. Yeah, definitely. Attention to detail um, is is big. <laughs> the pursuit for perfection. Uh, the pursuit of greatness. Oh, the pursuit <laughs> yeah. of greatness. Ah, oh, sorry. Yeah, I got my Wimbledon <laughs> marketing marketing stuff gone. Um, what I love as well on the Twitter account. Um, do, do you do you run that? Will is that is that your little baby, or is that a group of you that kind of log on and and do that? Because I love the pictures that you, you know you're always putting up. It's it's a really good insight into kind of what you're up to yeah no so I, I run that myself um and I kind of I forget how long ago now I started that but it's kind of one of those uh very wet February mornings and I was thinking <laughs> you know, 
that question that we get, what do you do the other 50 weeks of the year? I was like, do people actually yeah. care what they do the other 50 weeks of the year? <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it'd be, a, be an interesting thing to uh, to start up and see what kind of interest we could get. And, um, you know, having looked on Twitter before and seen other groundsmen around the country and the interactions they were having, I thought it could open up a few doors for, you know, idea sharing and things. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it took off in a massive way. And uh, I think we've just passed 14,000 followers. So it's, it's certainly, you know, must be of interest to some people. Uh, but yeah, no, I like, like to be able to share the photos and, you know, uh, share photos of the team and be able to give them a bit of uh, thanks on a public platform as well. Yeah. It's all well and good me saying thank you to them in the, in the cottage and and what, but if they can see that that sort of thanks going out, hopefully it will just spur them on a little bit as well. And in terms of, um, I know you mentioned you're a Liverpool fan and perhaps more into football, but you know you said you you do watch a bit of the tennis. Do you have any particular like favourite players? Have you got to meet many of the players? You know from working there or yeah. So we'll have um, the practice week before the tournament. Um, we kind of have to police the amount of time that players have on court um so you get you get a little bit of interaction with them that week uh certainly more than during the tournament because they're very focused during the tournament um but you can ask you know ask them how they feel the court's playing or um and i'll certainly have a bit of a chat and yeah no a lot of the players you kind of i don't know if if it's just myself but you kind of think wow there's you know, Roger Federer, Rafa Nadal, or Andy Murray, or you know, the, these guys are at the top of their game, and they're going to be. God, why do I have to speak to him? But they've been actually without you, though. They're always receptive. They're always, yeah. they're always happy to chat, and there's there's no airs and graces about them. That you know, if you stand and have a chat, it's it's just like talking to a a regular person, which yeah, is is brilliant. So. That's great. Well, Will, it's been fantastic having you on. I think we've certainly learned um, quite a lot uh, that we had no idea about. And uh, I think when I go to Wimbledon this year, I'm I'm going to be looking extra closely and like appreciating, you know, all the work that you and your team do. Um, Joel, did you have anything else that you wanted to to put to Will while we've got the pleasure <laughs> of having him on? Kim, you could go to Wimbledon. I'm probably going to go to the back of my garden and start on my own centre court now that I've got the the learnings to <laughs> uh, to to make my own court. But um, no, Will, it's been great. It's been great having you on. Um, just remind us which um, where's your where can people follow you on on Twitter? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter as at altc groundsman. I'm sure all our listeners will be, uh, well, if they don't already follow you, I'm sure they'll be following and watching out, especially in the, in the build up now to the tournament, as you said, um, who are hard at work and, you know, posting pictures and insights into the job. So yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. And, uh, yeah, thank you once again for coming on. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. It's been good. Thank you so much. So that wraps it up for this episode of The Passing Shot Extra Slice. Uh, We'll be back next time with another tennis-fueled episode of The Passing Shot, which we hope you can join us for. But for the meantime, thank you and goodbye. 